I could choose. I could choose to say a prayer and just move on. I could choose to not care. I could choose to not see. I can choose. I can choose. The song brings up those images for us. I can choose. But the songwriter has a different message than choosing those things that allows us to sit by while there's pain and suffering and we say a prayer but don't do anything else. No, prayers call us into action. They don't keep us away from that action. Prayers are this the opening steps to God working in our hearts and our lives to helping us then act and change the very lives God's seeking to reach out to. But I can choose. You know, and the, and the songwriter goes on to say, but I refuse to just sit. I refuse to just say that prayer, pat you on the head, and leave you alone sitting in that mess. I refuse to be that person. I don't want to be such a person that doesn't care. I refuse to be that kind of disciple, if you call that a disciple. It's a wonderful video, too, of this song. If you get a chance, look it up on Google. And as, as the song progresses, you see this person walking through the city, getting on the bus, going to another place, and passing all these people, you know, that seem, you know, just to be there. You know? And then as the song moves forward, this starts to go in reverse, the video. And as the video goes in reverse, you see all those people again. But this time, as you see the people that... He has passed, you see a little tagline, like one of those thought bubbles in the video, and it says things like, um, homeless, house was flooded in the hurricane. It says things like, widow, lonely, you know, by these persons that he just walked by. It says things like, single mother, three jobs. And ends up with this little boy, the first one he passed, that says, broken home needs hope. And what does it mean that we don't know these stories? We don't know the stories of each other. We don't have those thought balloons beside each of us as we encounter people along the way to know exactly what is the prayer and the action we need to do. We don't actually know what it means to have such information available to us. Because certainly then we would stop, right? Certainly then we just wouldn't say a prayer and move on. What kind of disciples do we choose to be? And we can choose. We can choose this day. And I find it fascinating that in the midst of all those choices, all those brokenness pieces that we encounter day by day in our own lives and other lives that we may or may not be aware of, God invites us to walk right in and to bring healing whatever state of affairs our own life is in, whatever state of affairs. The reading this morning from our writer of Tattoos on the Heart, you know, it's kind of hard to believe because that's where God wants to meet you. That's where God finds God's intimacy with you. It's right there when you stand in all your mistakes and imperfection. That's holy ground. Right there in the middle of that holy ground of mistakes and imperfection, God seeks at that moment to be intimate with you. And for you to open up in that vulnerability to be intimate to God, because when you do, God is going to use you in ways that you may not have expected. Wow. Are you sure, God? Are you sure we are ready for that? Who, me? Me? 
really? And God says, yes, you. Well, God, I don't know if you saw me as I got ready for church this morning. You know, I cussed when I stubbed my toe against the shower stall. And then that driver did that crazy thing, and I cussed some more on the way. You know, I couldn't find what I really wanted to find to eat this morning, and so I got kind of even grumpier about that. Do you really mean with all of this kind of stuff? And that's just trying to get ready for church, that this is where you want to meet me in my humanness, in my imperfections, and all this gloriful, glorified humanness is where you want to meet me and choose to meet me and say that you have something for me to do? Are you sure about that? Don't you remember this week, you know, I saw the homeless person on the sidewalk and I walked on the other side of the road. And you see this week, that person was crying and I tried not to see as best as I could. I'm holy ground. This is where you choose to meet me. It's kind of hard to believe that this is where God comes right into our lives, makes a home with us and calls us forward. One of the examples of in the homeboy ministries in the book, Tattoos on the Hearts, Gregory Boyle talks about this young man named Luis. And Luis comes to him one day and says, what's wrong with you white people? And Gregory says, what are you talking about? He says, you say great all the time, great. Luis had just finished giving another tour to another group that had come to see the ministry they were doing, and it was white folk. And every time they saw something, they said, oh, that's great. Oh, that's great. That's great, too. Oh, you're great. And so he comes into Brother Gregory and says, what's wrong with you white people? You always say everything's just great. You know, and um, Gregory listens to him and just kind of laughs a little bit and says, I don't know. Four months later, Luis finds his way into the house and says, you won't believe what happened. My daughter, Tiffany, she's becoming white. She looked at this thing and she said, it's great. And Greg said, well, why? And she said, well, she walked into our new little house. And she walked into the living room and she turned around. And she did a big circle with her arms. And she just said, Dad, this is great. And Gregory turned to him and said, you know, Luis, you did this. You had no home, but you created a home. You had no father, but you've become a father. You were the biggest gang deal drug dealer in this area, and now you break bread, bake bread for others. You did this right there in the midst of all that imperfection, right there in the midst of all of that not knowing what to do. You created a home. You created a home for your little Tiffany who now can come in and say, oh, it's great. Did you know God was doing that with you, Luis? And they just had to experience the moment for it. God's working that way in us, too. We had some things to celebrate this week. I don't know how many of you watch ESPN. You saw there was this football player's name's Michael Sam. Have you heard of him yet? Yes? Okay, yeah, right? The first out football player before the draft, like before he gets picked, to be able to really play on a professional team. And so this week he became number, is it 239, who was picked. 
I had flashbacks. You ever been on that playground waiting to get picked for a team? You know, be the last one there or the last two there. Oh, I guess I'll take him. The thing about Michael Sam is he's good. The thing about him, too, is he came out about being a gay man and being wanting to play professional sports. You know, so round one goes, he's not picked. Round two goes, he's not picked. Round three goes, round four goes, round five goes, round six goes. We get to round seven, and number like 34 in the seventh round, he gets picked by St. Louis, the Show Me State Rams. You know? And some people have been making a big deal of it because he kissed his boyfriend. I don't know about you, but if something great happened in my life, I might turn and kiss my loved one right next to me. And we don't know if it, they're making a big fuss because he turned and kissed his boyfriend there on television, ESPN, the first gay kiss on ESPN, right? Or if they're making more of it because his boyfriend happened to be white and he happened to be black, you know, and they just can't abide all of that. But they're making a big fuss over this. Some are saying, oh, he just wanted the, the news. And I'm telling you what, Michael Sam was willing to be the kid left on the playground that didn't get picked. He was willing to be the kid on the playground not getting picked and have the news film it. I think he still would have kissed his boyfriend. I think they still would have hugged each other. And I think he would have then become a free agent and hoped to find a place to be the player that he is. But what does it mean in this world, right there in our own brokenness, this vulnerability, this willingness to just be open to whatever happened? Yay, I'm number 239. You know, there were only six more left that they picked. Almost at the end. Should he have been picked earlier? I don't know. I had to call my dad this morning who, played, who taught football for 30 years and ask him, what happens after number 256? He said... Oh, the ones that get left on the playground then become free agents. So that's a new learning for me today I share with you. So what does it mean that God meets us right in those vulnerable places, asks us to say, I refuse to not care, and pulls us into ministry in the world? The Gospel of John says that Jesus is with you all the way, that Jesus is preparing a place for you all along the journey. Y'all have heard this passage before, maybe at a funeral. In my father's house, there are many mansions, says the King James Version. In other versions, many rooms. In this version today, many dwelling places. If it were not so, I would not tell you that I go to prepare a place for you. And then I will come and take you to myself. So that where I am, you may be too. This offer of intimacy right there in your human world, this offer of, I will come and take you to myself, this offer of a God who wants to be intimate with you, regardless of whether you're ready for it or not, in the imperfection and in the humanness. Now, what's sad about this part of the scripture, sometimes it's used for exclusion. Yeah, there's a lot of rooms, but not for you. There's many mansions, but not for everybody. And we have to remember that when we read this passage, this is the same Jesus that said, you know what? Remember two Sundays ago? There are other, no, last Sunday, there are other sheep that hear this voice, and you may not even recognize them. 
but they know my voice and they're coming too. This God that's preparing a place for us. And the word in the scripture doesn't mean like a stationary place. It's not like a mansion that's built right there, drilled in with a stone foundation. It's like preparing a place for you all along the journey. The word in scripture for this dwelling place is Jesus says, I go and I prepare a place for you and I take myself, take you to myself right there along the journey, every step of the way. So when you think of this passage, try to think of it as not a stationary place, not a destination you get to, but every place along the journey where you wonder whether or not you are holy ground and you wonder whether or not God can make good out of even this. Jesus says, I'm going to meet you right there and make a space for you and others, and I invite you home. John's community is afraid, the Gospel of John. Jesus hasn't come back in the way they expected, or maybe Jesus has come back, and they just haven't seen who Jesus is because it doesn't look like what they expected. But they are troubled, and in this passage, Jesus says, calm those hearts, I am here. And then Jesus goes on to say something even more dramatic. He says, you guys, you gals, he's a Texan, don't you know, you guys, you gals, you're going to do even greater things than me. You're going to do even greater things than me. Who, me? And Jesus says, yes, you are going to do greater things than me. You are going to be the ones who makes the room. You are going to be the ones who creates the space. You are going to be the ones that heals others. You are going to be the ones that brings life into the lifeless. You are going to be the ones that sing a song that dances upon injustice. You are going to be the ones that do greater things even than me, and I am going to be with you the whole way. I am going to be with you the whole way. Right there in this holy ground that you're not so sure of. I will be with you so that you refuse to sit. You refuse to not see. You refuse to not care because I call you to act and to care. This week, many of us were at City Hall again telling stories and I have some of them I want to share with you this morning because I figured I just couldn't keep telling you about them. I need to show you some. But what does it mean to go to that place, to stand up, to say, this is who we are. You're going to decide what it means to be a good city. See us, hear us, know our stories. But I want you to hear these three voices of people from resurrection, Colt, Gemma, and Grace. My name is Dr. Colt Meyer. I graduated from Rice University in 2006 and from the University of Houston in 2013 with my PhD in clinical psychology. I'm the co-chair of the Transgender Committee of the American Psychological Association. I work here at the Houston BA as our LGBT healthcare fellow. As a devout Christian and as an out transgender man, I urge you to support this ordinance. Let me start by laying the bathroom safety issue to rest. The VA has a non-discrimination policy, and they added gender identity and expression in 2012. Since then, we've had zero issues with sexual predators. Let me repeat that. This is not an issue. It is a made-up issue. 
If there's any safety issues in our bathrooms, the people who are most likely to be victims of those are people who are gender nonconforming, transgender, lesbian, gay, or bisexual, and that includes our LGBT children. Passing this ordinance will help me to provide hope to my patients, our veterans who have served this country, who can use the restroom in the VA here, and then when they walk out, cannot. They've shared countless experiences. Good afternoon, Mayor, members of the council. Thank you for hearing me this afternoon. My name is Gemma Burns, and I am the co-chair of Out and Equal Houston. We advocate workplace equality for members of the LGBT community. I am also a proud African-American and practicing Christian. When my wife and I were considering the move to Houston nine years ago, it was not without some trepidation. Neither of us had ever lived in the South, and frankly, we had some concerns, as did our families. You see, Elisa and I were married in Massachusetts in 2004, and we are both employed by companies whose commitment to equality don't simply allow us, but encourage us to bring our whole selves to work. Moving to Houston meant that we could be denied employment, housing, or public access simply because of our race or our relationship. Elisa and I are active members of Resurrection MCC, and we serve as board members for multiple nonprofit agencies. Through this work, we have seen the discrimination and unfair practices that the Equal Rights Ordinance is intended to address. We urge you to support this ordinance so that everyone in Houston, or considering coming to Houston, or bringing their business to Houston, knows that this great city champions equality. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Okay, Ms. Sarna. Good afternoon. My name is Grace Wallen. Thank you for the opportunity to speak today. I am pro-ordinance, having been raised by two women, grow up in the Metropolitan Community Church, and being of Hispanic descent, I felt it to be my obligation to speak on behalf of all who have been wrongfully discriminated against. Even though society has come a long way from the cruel days of not being able to ride in front of the bus, vote, gain employment, discrimination, discrimination is unfortunately still real. It's moments like this that make history and change the outcome for generations to come. The passing of this ordinance can make a difference between a person being free to express him or herself without wrongful judgment, gain employment, find a place to live, and be able to stand up for oneself. Every person deserves equal rights, no matter their sexual orientation, gender identity, ethnic background, age. The passing of this ordinance is important to myself, my family, and greater Houston area. Thank you for your time. Thank you. Your time has expired. Thank you. Mm. We are people of faith, they each said. We are people of faith, and we know that discrimination is wrong. And we heard that over and over again from resurrection people, many of them. Our board members testified, staff testified, members testified. And I love it, I love it that one of our kids testified. That I grew up with two moms in MCC churches. And this is just wrong. See, each time someone goes before, and their the whole city council is before them, with this big bar in front of them, and then there's all these people behind them, and does that, they're essentially breaking open the bread. They're breaking open the bread for those who have eyes to see that right there within them, they are doing that greater thing that Jesus called them to do, to be vulnerable with their life, to put it out there and take a risk, regardless of how it's gonna be received, but to care, 
We are those people. We are Resurrection Metropolitan Community Church. We are the church that Jesus says and breathes into right this day, you are going to do greater things than I. Keep breathing that breath into the lifeless. Keep healing those who are wounded. Keep on caring for those that others walk on the other side of the street for. You are my people. Can you accept that God says, you're going to do greater things? Let it sink in. The holy ground that is your imperfection, Jesus says, is going to do even greater things than Christ. Thanks be to God. Amen.